sometimes it feels like organizing is a lot of like the breaking down or the fighting back or whatever. So sometimes it is good to brainstorm just what we could create if we had the resources to create it. Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. In Anne, France, fires were started in a brief prison riot. According to reports, quote, Several incidents have occurred in recent weeks in the establishment. The detainees complain in particular about the judges' decisions to enforce sentences they consider too harsh and the lack of washing machines on their landing, end quote. In Limpopo, South Africa, six prisoners escaped during a prison riot. Local news reports that, quote, the police in Mikado have opened cases of arson, malicious damage to property, and escaping from lawful custody after the prisoners of Katama Synthenial Maximum Prison went on the rampage, torched and damaged some of the prison facilities, unquote. Likewise, in East Kalimantan, Indonesia, six migrants escaped from a detention center. We've also received news that Byron Shane Chubbuck, also known as Osoblanco, is facing intensified repression. Osoblanco is an indigenous activist serving 80 years in prison for a series of bank robberies carried out to fund the Zapatista rebels in Chiapas, Mexico. He escaped in December 2000 and continued to rob banks until he was recaptured. His supporters report that photos and artwork are going missing from Osoblanco's mail without explanation. He tried to send out money to family and friends, but they never received it, so he filed a grievance with a counselor, Chandley. The funds manager told him that he never received a grievance from Counselor Chandley. Osoblanco needs medical attention for an injury in his knee. He can't get a bottom bunk pass. Counselor Chandley sent him without a bottom bunk pass to see Ms. Wolverton, who was unprofessional and disrespectful about his medical needs. Chubbuck went repeatedly to receive his prescription medicine. It wasn't there. He was told this was typical of Ms. Wolverton. Chubbuck feels that he was deliberately led nowhere by Counselor Chandley and Ms. Wolverton and denied medical care. His supporters suggest that if you want to add your voice in solidarity, you could call Mr. Chandley, Counselor of Unit 3B, at 760-530-5000. Again, that's 760-530-5000. And express your concern about the treatment of Byron Shane Chubbuck. His registered number is... 07909-051. Gallup News reports that American support for the death penalty is at its lowest point since 1972. Currently, 55% of U.S. adults say they favor the death penalty for convicted murderers. Those results, based on a Gallup poll conducted from October 5th through 11th, continue a trend toward diminished death penalty support, as many states have issued moratoria on executions or abolished them altogether. The lowest point in support occurred in 1966, during a period covering the late 1950s through the early 1970s, when a series of court cases challenged the legality of the death penalty. The Supreme Court made a ruling in 1972 in Furman v. Georgia that halted all U.S. executions. Four months after that decision, 57% of Americans said they favored the death penalty. That was the last time support was below 60%. 
Most of the decline in death penalty support can be attributed to a decline among Democrats, 39% of whom voted in support of executions in the recent poll. A new report, The Economic Burden of Incarceration in the U.S., from Washington University in St. Louis, has tabulated the costs of incarceration in the U.S., including the social costs, more than half of which are borne by inmates and their families and by community members who have committed no crime, as the source describes. The total cost of incarceration is $1.2 trillion, or 6% of the gross domestic product. As the report says, the $80 billion spent annually on corrections is given often as the cost of incarceration, but that figure greatly underestimates the true cost by ignoring the social costs to people not in prison as well as the incarcerated. The report found that for every dollar in corrections costs, incarceration generates an additional $10 in social costs. The U.S. prison population today is seven times what it was 40 years ago. On October 25th, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agents started detention proceedings against a 10-year-old undocumented immigrant with cerebral palsy and detained her right after she had had gallbladder surgery. Rosa Maria Hernandez was traveling in Texas by ambulance to a hospital for surgery when she passed through an immigration checkpoint. The agents followed the ambulance to the hospital and remained outside the girl's hospital room the whole time she was there. After the hospital released Rosa Maria, agents took her into custody and transferred her to a children's shelter. After she's released, she'll have to appear before an immigration judge to halt her deportation. The girl has lived in the U.S. since she was three months old, and the family's attorney, Alex Galvez, there's no immediate threat that she'll be deported to Mexico. Galvez said, quote, what the administration wants to do is create fear in the immigrant community, unquote. The Canadian government admitted that a serious uprising in a Saskatchewan prison that led to one prisoner's death was likely caused by poor conditions, abusive kitchen staff, and bad food. Regarding the 2016 riot, a government report said that, quote, the immediate triggering events of the Saskatchewan Penitentiary riot appear to be related to unresolved demands regarding inmate dissatisfaction with food, as well as perceived mistreatment of inmate kitchen workers by Correctional Service of Canada staff. According to Fox 59, the Indiana Court of Appeals has ruled that three convicted Boone County sex offenders can resume attending church services even if children are present. The ruling culminates a legal battle that began in 2015 when the Boone County Sheriff's Office sent letters to registered sex offenders telling them they could not attend churches that have Sunday schools or offer childcare. State lawmakers had passed a statute banning sex offenders from access to school property, but the court ruled that appellants' churches are not school property and do not become such property when they conduct Sunday school classes or offer childcare. Ken Falk, a lawyer for the Indiana ACLU who represented the three men, said the three were convicted of crimes against children but were using their churches for rehabilitation. He said, quote, It seemed particularly cruel and short-sighted to say, you could not get the benefit of solace and forgiveness by attending church, unquote. We've received the following news from South Carolina. Inmates at McCormick Correctional Facility, supported by jailhouse lawyers speak, are asking for outside supporters to help them in challenging unbearable conditions there. 
Jailhouse Lawyers Speak are asking people to contact the Department of Justice Civil Rights Department, South Carolina Senator Carl Allen, the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division, and the South Carolina Department of Corrections. If you want to support the prisoners, you may call Brian P. Sterling, Director of the South Carolina Department of Corrections at 803-896-8555. Again, that's 803-896-8555. And you can use this script, which is based on prisoners' reports. Hello, I'm contacting you to inform you of ongoing human rights abuses in McCormick Correctional Facility. I believe that there are civil rights violations ongoing at McCormick, where inmates have been rationed one cup of water a day, and excessive force has been used regularly throughout the past weeks. Normal operations at this facility must be allowed to resume without delay, and the inhumane living conditions need to be rectified immediately. Currently... Prisoners report to being confined to their cells 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Sick call medical neglect is routine. Showers are being provided at most once a week. Prisoners are being served small and insufficient amounts of food. Prisoners are being forced to live in two-man cells for weeks without being allowed to clean them. And excessive force is being used at every meal. Meanwhile, steel plates are being used to cover all windows, eliminating natural sunlight, further proof of cruel and unusual treatment. These abuses must be stopped at once. Thank you. This week, we speak with Lil, a resident of Whitesburg, Kentucky. Whitesburg is located in Letcher County, the proposed home to a new federal prison to be built on a mountaintop removal site. We've previously covered the strong local organizing in Letcher County that helped put a stop to this toxic proposal. In light of recent efforts by the Bureau of Prisons to put the prison back on the table, we wanted to go in-depth with the local organizer to help us understand the current situation and how others can support the struggle there. My name is Leo, um, and I live in a small rural town in southeastern Kentucky um, called Whitesburg. Um, The county that Whitesburg is in is Letcher County, and um, we're actually the only site for a proposed federal prison in the United States right now. And so um, in 2016, a group of us um, started the Letcher Governance Project. Um, So it's basically a group of local people who are organizing to stop this prison from being built. We see a lot of prisons being built in Appalachia as like, economic development opportunities and um, we know that's a falsehood. We know that they don't really create jobs. Um, We know that they perpetuate a system of mass incarceration and so um, we have plenty of reasons, environmental reasons, um, social justice reasons, racial justice reasons for why we don't want a prison. You know, in an area where there just aren't a lot of jobs um, there's less, I'm not sure if there's less opposition to it or if it's easier to um, sort of prey on communities where, you know, the economy is just really struggling and people are really struggling and, and desperate for jobs. I mean, it's so bad that they're talking about implementing programs in our public schools to essentially train young students to be prison guards. It's terrifying. I've never lived in a community directly where there was a prison, but there are lots of prisons 
around this area in other parts of East Kentucky and Southwest Virginia. I think it sort of brings just a sense of like depression and hostility to a community. I mean, I've never known anyone who was like, you know, my job in the prison is the best job I've ever had or this job in a prison is great for my mental health or whatever, you know, it just seems seems very contrary to that. Um, not to mention the inmates and um, you know, living two and a half hours from an airport so when they get out or when their family wants to visit it's just impossible. To be honest, you know, the environmental justice side of it is not my strongest suit. That's not where my personal experience lies. We sort of have a mix of different people in LGP who come from different backgrounds, and that's really helpful. But um, the prison site is on a reclaimed strip mine. There's not really, like, access to water there. They would have to build water infrastructure, which would take away from the water infrastructure that we have here in the county. I mean, I don't drink the tap water here. I have to buy, like, jugs of water all the time. It's not really safe to drink the water here at all. And so there's already a water crisis in this community, um, so that's a big piece of it. Well, it's said that it hasn't been studied the impact that it'll have on the Lily Cornet Woods, which is sort of an adjacent natural forest hasn't been studied enough. There's a lot of different environmental impacts. We've done a lot of different things. There was a direct action um, protest at the SOAR Summit last year. Also, we have, we do some like pop-ed, like popular education um, workshops around like you know, it's called Prison Town, and, like, basically, what do you do when a prison's coming to your community? And sort of a timeline of mass incarceration and prisons in Appalachia and the connections between the two. So we do a lot of different things. We also, you know, we try to organize locally with local people here, just help folks sort of see and realize and speak out about the fact that, that they deserve better options than a prison. It's my understanding that the prison has been like low-key on the table since like 2005. At least that's as far back as we have dated it. And, um, you know, there's always been some opposition to it, but only in the past several years due to, like, claims of overcrowding and things like that has the BLP really been pushing the construction on this particular prison. Then earlier this year, there was talk of allocating that money to a prison in Illinois, I believe it's called Fort Thompson. They were going to, like, add on to that instead. And then, so we thought the prison was off the table for a while again, and now it's back on the table. So it's just sort of been like a back and forth with the BLP for a long time. 
for a minute the, you know, the Trump budget essentially said, you know, didn't leave funding for the prison and then how Rogers has been very explicit about how, you know, the prison's still on the table and they're still pushing for the prison. It's the third, I believe it's called the Final Supplemental Revised (laughs) Environmental Impact Statement, which is ridiculous, came out. And so our public comment period for that just ended on the 30th. How Rogers is a congressman here in Kentucky that's really pushed for this prison. It's very clear that it is, you know, all about money for him and that, you know, I believe that you know, things about this prison will go directly into his pockets. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's very clear that he is not listening to the local people of Ledger County or what we actually want for our community. Funding for the prison was $444 million. And so um, there was a hashtag campaign where we asked folks to envision what they would do in their community, especially if they live here in Letcher County with $444 million. Like, what better ideas do they have? What could they envision? When LGP first formed, there was a hashtag campaign, and they already spent a little bit of this money. They've, like, paved the road up by Roxana and stuff like that, allegedly. You know, I'm not sure that it came out of the $444 million, but that's what we're told anyway. Sometimes it feels like organizing is a lot of like the breaking down or the fighting back or whatever. So sometimes it is good to brainstorm just what we could create if we had the resources to create it. Well, one of the things we talked about a lot was like a recovery center, which they have been built alongside prison several times, but never really as a standalone thing. Um, but like basically like a state of the art rehabilitation facility to deal with like the opioid crisis that is really a struggle in this community and lots of other communities. My best friend talked about like a rigorous boarding school, sort of like a folk school boarding school that would really prepare youth around here to go off to college or to, you know, get whatever career they want. I I went to a public school around here, and it wasn't all that great, to be honest. There were lots of good ideas. I personally love, like, pop-in stuff. I think it is a really great tool. It's an accessible way to get information, you know, so that's what I really like about it. But in our particular workshop, we, there, you know, we have like a really long version and a shorter version, but one of the things we do is we built this humongous timeline that sort of maps out like mass incarceration and the, the building of different prisons in Appalachia and also the resistance like when a uh, cause was from home was created um, through WMMT here in Weisberg or just different things, different work that people have done to reach out to prisoners uh, here and sort of do solidarity type work. 
We definitely ask folks to brainstorm, you know, what would you do, what would you envision in your community if you had funding that, you know, would otherwise go to a prison, what would you build in your community? I might be biased, but I, because I do a few different ones in different, like, facets of my organizing life, but I really like popular education. I think that it's just like a fun and engaging way to get people quick access to information about a thing that they may otherwise not know about and be really interested in. Calls from Home is a really great show where I don't want to speak exactly to a number of how many prisons it reaches out to, but many surrounding prisons in the area, um, folks can call in and, um, like, the family members of the incarcerated folks can call in and record a message. And so that's, like, goes on for an hour. And then the next hour they air the messages so people who are locked up have a way to hear from their families that isn't, like, you know, constricted by how many minutes they have on a phone card or those weird tablets that they give people while they're locked up now, you know, just all these weird restrictions on communication. I mean, it's on radio, but it's just a more natural way, I think, uh, for folks to communicate to their loved ones. It's really special, and it's been going on for a long time now. So I think I I feel like LGP wouldn't exist in this community if it wasn't for things like calls from home that have sort of like grounded us in that work. So the comment period ended on the 30th, and this was the third go-around, so I'm not sure how other people felt about it, but... I thought it was a little harder to get folks like, hey, I know you've already done this twice, but can you make another comment kind of thing? (laughs) Um, But it's still just as important. Now we have some really good comments. I hope to sort of use those to, I mean, with people's permission, of course, to further energize uh, the work and the organizing. You know, locally we're going to, some of the big organizing things that are happening is on top of this whole prison thing, our county very recently just got out of a $1.3 million budget deficit. And so a lot of things that we have to do are think about, well, the budget looks like this without a prison. What will it look like with the prison? You know, I think the budget will be a great uh, local strategy for our organizing. So the comments are for the environmental impact statement. So, you know, my comments are never specifically related to our environmental issues, and they don't have to be, but basically, like, they put out the environmental impact statement that of all the studies and surveys and things that the BOP has done to determine the impact of the prison, and then they open up a comment period where people can publicly discuss that statement. So they've revised it three times, and we have energized lots of people 
locally and nationwide and lots of other organizers from across the country have energized people to make comments. And so that has been really helpful. Prisoners don't really get to participate in the public comment period. So here on the ground locally, we have our hands in lots of different things. But I think something that people can do no matter where they live is target any, like, congressional representative that they think um, could make an impact or make a statement that would sort of stand out or make a difference at all. Um, And, like, campaign style work and lobbying and things like that aren't exactly my cup of tea, so I understand, but, like, I do think those things are important. They do make an impact. So that's one thing we're kind of exploring and looking into is, like, what congressional reps can we target and reach out to um, to have them speak out against the prison. And I think you can do that from literally anywhere. You know, I think of prison work as definitely as racial justice work. I think it's connected to lots of other types of racial justice work. It's easy to, like, try to separate those things. But really, I think until we have a world where, you know, people don't live in cages, we're always going to be doing this work. And so the two are intrinsically connected. Um, And we know that, you know, lots of, People of color are already incarcerated in Appalachia. Maybe this isn't their home community. Maybe it is. So it's already a, a huge problem here, a disproportionate problem. We, we just don't want to see any more of it. Doing, like, prison work might not seem as, like, fun or exciting as other types of organizing, um, but it's really important. It's really vital to... Uh, building the world we want to live in and the community we want to live in. Um, so I think just supporting in the ways that you can, you know, is always helpful and never thinking that like something you do won't make an impact because someone making a public comment from Minnesota still makes an impact or targeting a congressional rep who you know, is opposed to having new prisons being built in the U.S. It doesn't matter where they live. It still makes an impact. We have a website, letyourgovernanceproject.com. We also have an email account. So if you wanted to reach out, I would probably be the person that would get the email, and it's letyourgovernanceproject at protonmail.com. Yeah, I, I hope to be updating our website pretty soon to reflect the most recent comment period. We also have a Twitter and a Facebook, which I can't really speak to because I'm not a, I don't use social media, but um, we do have those, and there are people updating them who are not me. Definitely check them out. Just you can look us up uh, if you search for Lecture Governance Project. We're easily found. 
This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box. KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512 or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.